testimony for those of you who have never heard of her. And I'm going to let you tell it. But Cindy does have a book that we have back by the table called A Blessed Journey. And she's going to tell you what that journey was. But um, I'm going to say for a donation of any amount to RCC, there's a box, a drop box by the back table. If you want this book for a donation of any amount, if you can't afford anything, just take the book. I want to get it in your hands, okay? So go ahead, Cindy. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Oh, I just love to have the opportunity to glorify God. What a joy. Tomorrow morning at our church in in Troy, at Life Christian Church, we're going to be starting a series of healing teachings. Our pastors are. And I was able to invite so many people tomorrow to do exactly what I'm doing today, to glorify God. We have right now, I have a list I've been keeping. This list is growing and growing and growing. Right now we have 27 healings of cancer in the last year. It's just awesome. It's just so awesome. I have a whole column of people, and it goes, you know, page after page, that were healed with medical intervention. However, that medical intervention was above and beyond the doctor's wildest imaginations. Phenomenal healings. The next column says change of diagnosis. I have a woman just this week who told me, her name's Wilma, and she said, I talked to her on the way here today, she had a mass between her rib cage and her lungs. And the doctors looked at this mass and they said, first of all, they said it's cancer. Second thing they said is that it wasn't the source of the cancer. They had to find the source. So they went hunting. First, they did a CAT scan. Negative. Now, this is, of course, as she's learning and applying the word of God. Then they did a bone scan. Negative. They sent it to nine pathologists because they didn't believe it. Guess what? The diagnosis changed. Now, she had a biopsy, and I haven't got the results of that yet. But what is it going to be? Negative. Yes, hallelujah. The third row here is healings without medical intervention. We have several people who have been healed completely without any medical intervention. One of them is a woman I've never met. She lives in California. She was on hospice. You know what that means. Somebody got this book in her hands. She's now in complete remission. This is God's word. It's so awesome. Kent and I are just in awe. We're just in awe. Tomorrow we have over 20 people that are going to be at Life Christian Church, and we're going to have this little parade. They're going to come up on the altar, and they're going to say, healed of sarcoma, healed of lung cancer, healed of melanoma, healed of, and they're just going to, I can just, I am just so, so excited to see, number one, God glorified, but number two, the people that are in the church saying, My God heals today. And just like Pastor James says, it is not a question. The the question is, are we receiving it? I want to tell you this much of my testimony because I have this teaching that God has put on my heart that I know is for you, and I want to have time to share it. But my testimony is that I was um, diagnosed with stage 4 cancer seven years ago, and I didn't know Jesus. I wasn't saved. That's not a good place to be. Um, with thank God, 
thank God, thank God, I have a really good friend who introduced me to Jesus and who started teaching me these truths. Oh, what a precious friend. Precious are her feet. Precious are the feet that bring the truth to those in need. I started just being a doer, taking everything that was given to me. I didn't have any hope in the natural. The doctor told me I had six to nine months to live and that the cancer was incurable. That's not a good report. And I chose to pour, pour my whole heart, surrender. When I, when I received salvation, I received the whole package. I sought God with all my heart. I said, whatever. And I didn't understand it. I didn't understand it. They, or the Hosea says people perish from lack of knowledge. But it's not just a head knowledge. It's so much more than that. I didn't understand so much because I, didn't, I had never even picked up my Bible. I, my Bible. It wasn't even my Bible. It was the Bible sitting on the shelf. I never picked it up until I started seeking. And it, I didn't understand it. When people told me, Cindy, this is your medicine. When Jenny told me, Cindy, pray these scriptures. This is your medicine. I didn't understand it, but I did it. My faith grew. Over time, six months, my faith grew and my faith grew and my faith grew. And at the end of six months, I had an all clear, no more cancer. Melanoma stage four was gone. I didn't have chemotherapy. I didn't have interferon treatment. I didn't have radiation. I was just talking to my brother today, and um, his boss's wife has been diagnosed with stage 3 melanoma. She hasn't sought me yet. I keep telling Danny, I'll call her. Just give me the the go-ahead. But he's saying she needs to call me. You know, it's, it's the way that the situation is. And her husband is a doctor. And because it's, it's hard when you're a doctor because you know a lot intellectually. Her husband's a doctor. And, and Denny was telling me today that with melanoma, they treat it with something very often called interferon. That's what they were going to give me. And, and this, this drug that they give you only has a 3 to 5% chance of helping you. And you're sick, really sick. And it's a year of treatment. I really like God's way. <laughs> I really like God's way. Amen. Okay. This is the word God gave me for you guys tonight. And I've never, ever taught on this. Ken and I have been teaching healing for four years. And after I was healed, we went through a Bible institute. And then after that, my pastor put us in this small group ministry, a healing group. She just gave us a open, you know, we could do anything we wanted. And we have been growing this healing teaching and this healing ministry for four years. We have just been so blessed to be able to publish our second book, which is a healing Bible study. That same study where we have seen 27 people healed in the last year, that same study, it's so on my heart. God, you've given us this, this, it's his truth and from his word, but he's given us the, um, the 
the the structure and the the important parts to share with the people we talk about what the bible says about healing the foundation that yeah it's god's will to heal yeah god heals in lots of ways yeah the the word of faith the prayer of faith is for every single believer okay we we teach all that then we teach what our part is in receiving just like pastor james said today god already did his part we have a part to play too we talk in depth about what our part is in that bible study and the third part is taking authority over the enemy using our authority that he's given us especially over things like fear pain symptoms and all the junk that often attaches itself to the battle that you're fighting so that's what we teach well what i'm teaching tonight isn't anything we've ever taught so i know this is right from the holy spirit and this is what i want to share with you it's a lie it's a lie of the enemy and i've been hearing it a lot lately from people that we've been talking to and it's this lie that says i'm not worthy i'm not worthy to receive from you god i i you, you don't know me <laughs> i've done so much i'm at a place where i'm not worthy that's the first half of the lie the second half of the lie sounds like this what am i not doing what am i not doing god I am I am I am under so much condemnation that's a lie. I am under so much condemnation. It's me. What am I not doing? You know what? Our God is such a good God. That's a lie of the enemy. And I want to show you in his word several really important points. And the very first point I want to talk to you about is what did Jesus do? What did Jesus do with the unworthy people? So let's go and look at a couple scriptures. The first one is in John chapter 8. So open your Bibles, please. John chapter 8, starting with verse 2. John chapter 8, starting with verse 2. Now, early in the morning, he came again into the temple, and all the people came to him, and he sat down and he taught them. Then the scribes and Pharisees brought to him a woman caught in adultery. That's pretty unworthy, isn't it? And when they had set her in the midst, they said to him, Teacher, this woman was caught in adultery in the very act. Now Moses in the law commanded us that such should be stoned. But what do you say? This they said, testing him, that they might have something of which to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down and wrote on the ground with his finger as though he did not hear. So when they continued asking him, he raised himself up and said to them, He who is without sin among you, let him throw a stone at her first. And again he stooped down and wrote on the ground. Then those who heard it, being convicted by their conscience, went out one by one, beginning with the oldest, even to the last. And Jesus was left alone, and the woman standing in the midst. When Jesus had raised himself up and saw no one but the woman, he said to her, Woman, where are those accusers of yours? Has no one condemned you? She said, No one, Lord. And Jesus said to her, 
neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Neither does he condemn her. There's no condemnation in Jesus Christ. He didn't condemn her. And just like the scripture that Pastor James wrote about sin and healing being connected, he said, go and sin no more. But he didn't condemn her. He forgave her. He was the only one that could have because he was without sin. But no, Jesus doesn't condemn. Jesus loves. The next scripture is in Matthew chapter 9. I love this one. You know, when Jesus... um, when Jesus decided who his apostles were going to be, it's kind of interesting to look at who he chose. You know, he didn't go to the synagogue. He, you know, the one I'm going to share is, is was a tax collector. He was a sinner, Matthew. This is Matthew chapter 9. As Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, he told him. And Matthew got up and followed him. Oh, I love that. Matthew just got up and followed him. I don't know if the, if the Pharisees and the Sadducees would have done that. But Matthew did. While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, hmm, so Matthew went, or Jesus went to that sinner's house. While Jesus was having dinner at his house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with them and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice, for I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. That's Jesus's word. He's sitting there eating dinner and, and, and calling his disciples, his apostles to him. He chose sinners. Remember, the, the whole thing about unworthiness or not being good enough to receive healing is a lie from the pit of hell. Jesus called the sinners to be his apostles. He said, I have not come to call the righteous, but the sinners. We're going to look at one more example from, from the Bible. And this is in the chapter in Luke chapter 23, starting with verse 30. This is when Jesus was being crucified. Then one of the criminals who were hanged blasphemed him, saying, If you are the Christ, save yourself and us. But the other answering rebuked him, saying, Do you not even fear God? seeing you are under the same condemnation and we indeed justly for we receive the due reward of our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. And then he said to Jesus, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said to him, assuredly, I say to you today, you will be with me in paradise. He admitted that he wasn't worthy He said, I deserve this. But then he went and he said, Lord, Lord. He called him his Lord. He admitted his unworthiness. He admitted that he deserved what he was there for. But then he said, Lord. He called him his Lord. And what did Jesus say? Come, be with me in paradise today. He didn't say no. 
So what makes us think that he would say no to us? Pastor James already talked about salvation. I want to go just one step more and talk about the atonement. And I want to go to just a couple scriptures. This is like a huge, huge teaching. We're going to just do it in a very short two scriptures. I want to go to Romans 5, chapter 16. I want to talk about two words, condemnation and justification. Romans chapter 5, verse 16. And this is from the Amplified Translation. Nor is the free gift at all to be compared to the effect of that one man's sin, Adam's sin. For the sentence following the trespass of one man brought condemnation, whereas the free gift following many transgressions brings justification, an act of righteousness. Okay, so on one side, we have Adam and the fall of man. And because of that one man's sin, condemnation came. Condemnation is a legal term. It's a legal, damnatory sentence. And the sentence was death. The sentence was separation from Jesus, separation from our Father. Spiritual death, sin, sickness, all of the curse. We were condemned. And guess who was in authority, who was in authority on this earth? The enemy. That was the fall of man. Now look at the second half of the scripture. Whereas the free gift following many transgressions brings justification. Now, first of all, I want to go to that many transgressions thing. When I see my, my, my people who are saying, I'm not worthy. You can't believe the many transgressions. Can't believe where I've been. You don't know my history. Think of the, all of the transgressions of mankind. All of the transgressions of mankind. Not just me, not just my husband and me, not just us, but of all mankind. Jesus paid the price for all transgressions. He's a big God. And because of his death, because of his resurrection, we've received justification. Now this word, ooh, this is a a great word. It's also a legal term. And it means that we are legally... That it's a, it's a judicial decision, it's a sentence, a sentence just like the condemnation, but it's a favorable one in which we are acquitted and we're declared acceptable to God. And that word acquit means to set free from the charges of an offense. Set free. Doesn't mean we didn't do it. It doesn't mean we aren't sinners. It doesn't mean that we haven't made a lot of mistakes, but we've been set free from those mistakes. We've been set free from that offense. Isn't that good news? That's the picture of atonement. That's the truth from the Bible of atonement. And when, when my friends say, I'm not worthy, or I'm not doing enough, or I feel like I'm under condemnation, that's a lie. That's a lie of the enemy. And he is putting that lie in this world and in our people. And that needs to be exposed. The enemy's been attacking me this week, too, big time. He doesn't want us to hear this. 
But you're going to hear it in Jesus' name. Okay, let's go to Romans chapter 4. Romans chapter 4, verse 25. I'm going to add one word to the beginning. It starts with the word who. I'm going to start with the word Jesus. Jesus, who was betrayed and put to death because of our misdeeds and was raised to secure our justification, our acquittal, making our account balance and absolving us from all guilt before God. Again, that whole idea of justification. If, if you have a mortgage on your house and somebody comes and hands you, let's say you owe $100,000 on your house, somebody hands you a check to pay that off in full, would you not take it? Oh, yeah. I would take it and I would say, oh, my God, thank you. What a precious gift. Would you choose instead to say, oh, no, I owe that money. I'm going to work and I'm going to pay it, you know, $600 is more than that, $1,000 a month for 30 years. I'm going to pay my debt. It's my debt. I'm going to pay it. When somebody has offered to pay it for you, but that's what we do with our father who has completely acquitted us, completely paid it, made our accounts balance. We don't need to do it. Okay, now I want to go to that that question about condemnation. I have a a wonderful, beautiful woman who we've been ministering to for quite a while. She's fighting cancer, and she's fighting, and she's fighting, and she's fighting. And she has had, I mean, when I saw her before the holidays, before Christmas, I didn't know if I would see her again. She was that sick. She literally couldn't get enough breath to breathe to speak a word or two at a time. And she's had, I mean, it's now May, five months later, and she's much, 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 much better. But she's still fighting, and she's getting good reports, and then she gets a lot of bad reports. And then she gets a good report, and then she gets a lot of bad reports. And last week in our class, she sat there, and she said, Cindy, I am under so much condemnation. There's no condemnation in Jesus. There's no condemnation. The next scripture I'm going to share, I'm going to read from the message, and I don't know if we can get it up here. No? Okay. So I'm just going to read it for you. I wouldn't even open your Bible because it's so different from the, from the um, NIV that, or from the New King James. It probably would be hard to follow. But you might want to write down the scripture reference. It's Romans 7, verses 17 through 25, and I'm going to read through the beginning of chapter 8, verses 1 and 2. Now, I want to preface this with saying, you know, I've been a Christian for seven years, and a lot of you have been a Christian a lot longer than that. And that doesn't mean that we don't miss it. And we don't miss it a lot. And we don't say, oh, God, how can you still love me? You know? But he does. (laughs) But he does. And the scripture I'm going to read now is the Apostle Paul talking. Now think about Paul. Paul wrote three quarters of the New Testament. You know, he was a zealous man before he was saved. And after he was saved, he was still a zealous man. But he was zealous for Jesus. And he, oh my goodness, if you think of the persecution he went through and of the life that he chose to live, he would not back down. 
He, you know, he, they would say, I'm, you have to shut up, Paul. <laughs> you can't teach that. You cannot do it anymore. We'll let you go. Just don't say it anymore. And what did Paul say? I'm sorry. You're not going to stop me from preaching Jesus Christ. But even the apostle Paul, oh my goodness, had a lot of problems. Listen to this. But I need something more. For if I know the law, but still can't keep it, and if the power of sin within me keeps sabotaging my best intentions, I obviously need help. I realize that I don't have what it takes. I can will it, but I can't do it. I decide to do good, but I don't really do it. Does this sound like me sometimes? Does this sound like you sometimes? I decide not to do bad, but then I do it anyway. My decisions, such as they are, don't result in actions. Something has gone wrong deep within me and gets the better of me every time. This is Paul talking. It happens so regularly that it's predictable. The moment I decide to do good, sin is there to trip me up. I truly delight in God's commands, but it's pretty obvious that not all of me joins in that delight. Parts of me covertly rebel, and just when I least expect it, they take charge. I've tried everything and nothing helps. I'm at the end of my rope. Is there no one who can do anything for me? Isn't that the real question? The answer, thank God, is that Jesus Christ can and does. He acted to set things right in this life of contradictions where I want to serve God with all my heart and mind, but am pulled by the influence of sin to do something totally different. With the arrival of Jesus, the Messiah, that fateful dilemma is resolved. Those who enter into Christ's being here for us no longer have to live under that continuous low-lying black cloud. A new power is in operation. The spirit of life in Christ, like a strong wind, has magnificently cleared the air, freeing you from a faded lifetime of brutal tyranny at the hands of sin and death. Wow. Wow. Now, this is the one that you're more familiar with hearing. I'm going to read just two verses. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, who live and walk not after the dictates of the flesh, but after the dictates of the spirit. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has freed me from the law of sin and death. Oh, my God. There's no condemnation. Yeah, we, that, that, the reason I wanted to read that message version is because that's where so many of us are. We're feeling this, like my friend Patricia, feeling all this condemnation. That's of the enemy because we have Jesus and we have the Holy Spirit. And we have 1 John 1, 9. And whenever we miss it, even if we miss it, the same thing time after time after time. And I do. And probably you do too. We can go before our Lord and he completely uninhibited. I mean, no boundaries. He just pours out his forgiveness, pours out his love. He chose to die for us. He chose with joy to die for us so that we could have that, that life so that we're not under the law of death. We're not under the curse. We're under the law of life. That's his promise for us. So the question, 
for my friend Patricia, for those who say I'm not worthy. How do you get over that? How do you go to that, that place where, where you, you, you know that you're worthy because you're the baby girl or the, the son of the living God? How do you get to that place? I believe that it has to do with your relationship with God. And I have a statement that I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say, and it, I, this has been in me. I've, I've shared it so many times, and this is it. This is a statement I want to make. Trust is the fruit of a relationship in which you know you are loved. Let me say it again. Trust is the fruit of a relationship in which you know you are loved. Now, I'm going to just put it in the natural before I talk about our Father. Think about any relationship in which you are loved. I'm going to talk about my husband and I. I know I'm loved. I know through experience that my husband loves me. We've been married 30 years in June. I have the best husband in the world. No girls. Nobody has a husband as good as I do. Nobody. And I know I'm loved. I just know it. And because of that love that I have, because of the love my husband gives me, I trust him completely. There has never been one doubt in my heart of, my, of his fidelity with me or for me because I trust him because of his love. Okay, so let's talk about our father. When we come into a relationship with him and we have that love relationship with him, his promises are so real to us because we trust him because of his love. And just like Pastor James said today, the way to come into that relationship is through his word. As we feed on his word, as we get his word in our heart, as we just let it speak to us, meditate on his word. That's what happens. You come to read those promises and you say, oh my God, that's for me. That's for me. He did that for me today. It was Isaiah 61. It was like that chapter I just read over and over and over. And it was like, oh, God, thank you so much. This is for me. That was for me today. It was so awesome. So that's what he does for us. And it's just a love relationship. This is something Pastor Tracy said. In fact, I was at a women's conference last night. at a busy weekend. <clears throat> she lost her husband when she was in her early 30s. He died of cancer. The same summer that I was healed of cancer. He's the pastor on a word of faith church. Our church didn't change their teaching. Pastor Marie, our senior pastor now, will stand up on the altar and she'll say, she's got, she's Italian, she has a strong accent. If anything happens to me, (laughs) don't you blame God. It was me. If I die today, you don't blame God. It was me. So Pastor Tracy lost her husband when she was about 30 years old. She had three little girls. And last night at this women's conference, she was talking, and she said something so good. When she was in that season of mourning and that season of darkness in her life, she said this is what, what brought her out of it. It was meditating on the love of God. And this is what she did. She said she'd walk in her house just by the hour and she'd say God loves me God loves me God loves me she'd say it out loud God loves me God loves me 
He loves me. And that's what, over time, healed her heart. The perfect love of God. The perfect love of God. If, if there's a doubt, if there is any doubt of unworthiness, any doubt of, I'm not doing enough, any doubt of being in condemnation, any of that junk, meditate on the love of God. Meditate on his love. Go to his word. Search out scriptures about love, about his love. Because that is where that fruit comes. Remember, trust is the fruit of a relationship in which you know you are loved. Would you please turn in your Bible to Romans chapter 5? You see, at just the right time, this is verse 6. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous man. Though for a good man, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners... Christ died for us. What a precious sign of his love for me. And I want to read another love scripture, Romans 8. And you know what? This is in the message as well. So you might want to just listen. I love it. So what do you think? With God on our side like this, how can we lose? If God doesn't hesitate to put everything on the line for us, embracing our condition and exposing himself to the worst by sending his own son, is there anything else he wouldn't gladly and freely do for us? All who would dare to tangle with God by messing with... and oh, I'm sorry, I read that wrong. And who, and who would dare tangle with God by messing with one of God's chosen? Who would dare even point a finger? The one who died for us who was raised to life for us, is in the presence of God at this very moment, sticking up for us. Do you think anyone is going to be able to drive a wedge between us and Christ's love for us? There's no way. Not trouble, nor hard times, nor hatred, not hunger, not homelessness, not bullying threats, not backstabbing, not even the worst sins listed in Scripture. This is what scripture says. They kill us in cold blood because they hate you. We're sitting ducks. They pick us off one by one. None of this phases us because Jesus loves us. I'm absolutely convinced that nothing, nothing living or dead, angelic or demonic, today or tomorrow, high or low, thinkable or unthinkable, absolutely nothing can get between us and God's love because of the way that Jesus, our master, has embraced us. That's the love of God. Now, in my Bible, I write a lot. I got a brand new Bible, and I I brought my old one. (laughs) It's like, it's hard to, to... Get into a new one because I got so much revelation in my old one. But I know he's ready to give me new revelation. But anyway, in my Bible, by that scripture, I have two words written in it. One is Emily and one is Jared. They're my niece and my my nephew. And I want to tell you about Jared. The scripture, the reason his name's written there, 
is because he had an experience last, last spring, and that scripture was the one that it was like, this is for you, Jared. doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what happens, death or life. It doesn't matter principalities, powers. Nothing, nothing can get in the way of God's love for you. Let me tell you what happened to Jared. Last spring, he's, he's about 31 years old, I think now. And last spring, he had an accident. It was on um, M46 and um, by, Howard, by Howard City, M46 and 131. And he was um, driving, and I won't go into all the details, but he hit a, a kid on a motorcycle, and the kid died. And Jared had not had any, he hadn't been drinking, he wasn't driving recklessly, there, he, it was a complete accident. The day um, of the funeral, the parents um, invited Jared to come to the funeral, and my brother, my brother Denny, his father, and they, they hugged Jared, and they said to Jared, they said, it was, don't, don't take this, don't, don't take this in you. It wasn't your fault. It was completely an accident. They just lost their son. He was dead. He was in a casket. And they were telling my nephew, it's okay. They're telling my nephew, it's okay. Don't, you know, don't take this inside of you. Don't let it destroy your life. It wasn't your fault. However, Jared was, um, what's the word, Kent? It was um, negligent homicide. He was charged. He was charged with negligent homicide. Well, this was last summer, and my, my nephew Jared wasn't saved, and my brother Denny is. And I called them, and I said, because they live near here and we're up here every Sunday, so I said, you know what, let's see if we can get Jared to church. So they came. They were here, and um, at the end of the service, Jared, I mean, this bro- he's just broken. He's just broken. He just killed a kid. And he came up to the altar right here. And Pastor James prayed for him. And he prayed for him for his salvation. And he prayed for the whole situation. And we walked out in the parking lot. And we talked for a while. And Jared got out his wallet. And he had a scripture folded up in his wallet. And the scripture was Philippians 4, verses 4 through 6. It says, don't worry about anything. Don't be anxious about anything. But in everything... Give your request to God with thanksgiving, and God will give you the peace that passes all understanding. And that was his scripture. That was his word. And he carried it with him, and he would get it out, and he would read it all the time. Because he had a big worry. You know, he may have ended up in prison for a long time. So this is how good our God is. He lost his license. They took his car. He was without being able to drive for about six months. He finally came before the judge. And in um, Macomb County, that's where it was, right, Kent? Montcalm County, I'm sorry. I live in Macomb County. In, Montcom, in Montcalm County, I guess there's a, the reason he was charged is because the prosecutor is, does that frequently. <clears throat> and so he went before the judge, and Jared stated his case. Some other people talked as well. But what we believe made the difference was Jared. And he told what had really happened And it was truly an accident. And he was acquitted. (laughs) He was acquitted of the offense. That boy did die. My nephew did hit him. But he was acquitted. 
the offense was removed from him. That was the answer to our prayer. That's what Pastor James had prayed. He was saved. (laughs) He has Jesus in his heart. He was acquitted of that crime. Jesus paid the price that we can all be acquitted of all situations, of all sickness, of all of the condemnation that the enemy tries to put in front of you. That is a lie. That is a lie. The truth is that the atonement of Christ was complete. It wasn't halfway. The, the world is the, you know, the enemy in the world tries to tell us that. But that's a lie. We have been acquitted. We have been acquitted. And I want to close with this. Would you turn your Bibles to Galatians chapter 2? The question I want to ask is, <clears throat> did Jesus die in vain? Did Jesus pay that price with his blood? Did Jesus go through what he went through for no reason? That's your choice to make. That's my choice to make. Let's read Galatians chapter 2, verses 20 through 21. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God. For if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died in vain. If righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died in vain. If I sit and say, oh, no, I'm not worthy. I didn't do this, 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 or this. Then Christ died in vain. If I claim the lie of unworthiness, knowing that Christ died in love for me and that he chose death so that I could live, then He died in vain. That must just break his heart. That must break his heart every day when he hears people saying, I'm not worthy. We are worthy. If we're the children of the living God, we are worthy. Not because of anything we've done. Not because of anything we've earned. But because of Jesus and what he's done and the price that he's paid. That's the good news. That's the truth. And the enemy and his lie has to be revealed and exposed and then just put under your feet. In Jesus' name. Thank you very much, Pastor James, for letting me share his word.